Brothers and sisters, this afternoon I've been asked by the consistory to pay attention to Lord's Day 27, the second Lord's Day about baptism. We're going to therefore read three passages of scripture. As we hope to see, they're all tied in one way or the other to our own baptism. We begin with Exodus 14 reading from verse 19 until the end of the chapter. So in this chapter of the Bible, God's people are at the Red Sea. They have left Egypt after the plagues, but now Pharaoh, regretting that he let the people go, has come chasing after them, and the people are very scared that the Egyptians are coming. And then we read what the Lord did in the midst of their fears. Verse 19 of chapter 14. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them, on their right hand and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw that the Egyptian and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so that the Lord, so that the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. 
Then let's turn to the first letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, chapter 10. And there we read how the Holy Spirit gives new and deeper significance to what we just read from Exodus. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the first five verses. Let us hear the word of the Lord. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And then one more passage, we turn to Colossians chapter 2, and read about circumcision. Colossians chapter 2. 8 through 15. There the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ says the following, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not According to Christ. For in him the full whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's now stand and sing, responding to the Lord, from Psalm 106, the stanzas 1, 3, 4, and 5. Psalm 106 is one of the historical psalms that reviews the Lord's mighty works, including his works at the Red Sea. Psalm 106. Let's turn then to Lord's Day 27, where God's word concerning baptism, and also who should be baptized, is summarized. Question and answers 72 through 74. 
Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No. Only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and seal that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. Should infants too be baptized? Yes. Infants, as well as adults, belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit who works faith are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism as the sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Covenant by circumcision, in place of which baptism was instituted in the New Covenant. After the proclamation of God's word, let's sing together. In response to the Lord, hymn 58, one of the hymns that we have concerning the sacrament of baptism. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you think about baptism... And if you were asked to connect in your mind baptism to one very important person in the Bible, to whom would you connect baptism? Well, it would be surprising if many of you said the Lord Jesus Christ himself. After all, it was the Lord Jesus Christ who instituted baptism, who said to his disciples, who at that point were becoming apostles, that they were to go and to teach all the nations and also baptize them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so when we hear that word baptism, it's very easy to connect it in our minds with Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we we naturally place it in the new covenant that the Lord Jesus Christ has brought us into. And Lord's Day 27 makes that connection as well. And now think of circumcision. And if you had to connect in your mind circumcision to one well-known and important person in the Bible, to whom would you connect circumcision? Well, it wouldn't be very surprising if you made the connection between circumcision and Abram, later became Abraham. After all, it was to Abram that the Lord came 
and said, I will establish my covenant between you and your children after you. In this covenant, then the Lord also gave the sign of circumcision that happened to Abraham in his days. And so when we hear circumcision, we easily connect that with Abraham. And of course, Abraham is part of the old covenant. And that's what Lord's Day 27 reminds us of at the end of answer 74. But there's more in the Bible than that. And here's the fascinating but also very important truth that needs to be proclaimed also in our day and age. When you hear that word baptism, you could and you also should connect it with the name of Moses. That is clearly what the Holy Spirit reveals in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There we read that our fathers, our forefathers, passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses. And Moses is definitely part of the old covenant. So there is baptism in the new, but there's also a certain baptism in the old covenant. And then when you hear that word circumcision, you should connect it not only to Abraham and not only to the old covenant, but you should also connect circumcision to the new covenant because that's clearly what the Holy Spirit says in Colossians chapter 2. There is a circumcision which is done by hands, and that's what the Lord taught Abraham to do. But there's also another kind of circumcision. Verse 11, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So there's also a circumcision of Christ, and Christ is certainly the one who brought us into the new covenant. So this is what the Bible reveals, brothers and sisters, in all of its fullness. On the one hand, we have circumcision in the old and baptism in the new, but we also have a baptism in the old and we have a circumcision in the new. It is a divinely inspired crossover. Baptism in the new, baptism in the old, circumcision in the old, and circumcision in the new. And by this crossover, as it were, the Lord is pulling the two covenants, old and new, tightly together. Just as if you would put two ropes crisscross and then pull them, it pulls something together. And it is this inspired crossover between the covenants that we want to look at more closely, also so that we understand better what that baptism of ourselves, the baptism that we have received, is for us today. I summarize it in this way. Baptism, God's pledge to you. And we're going to look in the first place at baptism, the baptism into Moses and the baptism into Christ. And then we will look more closely at circumcision, the circumcision done by human hands and the circumcision done by Christ. And then finally we'll pay particular attention to how you should use 
these truths in your own life, also when you have certain pressing questions, deep questions of the soul. So this baptism into Moses, what exactly is that? The Holy Spirit himself goes on to explain it, at least in a very short and compact way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, they were all baptized into Moses. What is it? Here comes the explanation. In the cloud and in the sea. So in the cloud and in the sea explains what the baptism into Moses really is. Because as God was leading the people out of Egypt on towards the promised land, there was always a cloud in front of them. Except that moment where it went behind them. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But there was that huge group of all God's people and always in front of them was this special glory cloud of the Lord. And what is a cloud made out of? Water. Water vapor, but it's water. H2O. And the Holy Spirit connects that water in the cloud to the water that goes into the baptism font when someone is baptized here in this congregation. That's the one connection. But when the people were there, at that moment in their history, it was not only the water of the cloud, there was another kind of water. And that was the water of the Red Sea. That water that the Lord split by his mighty power, the water that the Lord also used in order to punish Pharaoh and all his host. There was more water, more H2O, and the Holy Spirit here in 1 Corinthians 10 draws a connection line. When you think back to the Red Sea being split and all those people walking through it, you need to think, says the Holy Spirit, about the baptism font and that water that's sprinkled on the forehead of a baby. Two different kinds of water, both closely associated with Moses and both pointing you forward to your own baptism. That's what it is. But then the next natural question is, why the connection? This is not a connection that we would naturally make between a cloud and sea and the baptism font, but the Holy Spirit makes it. This then is the reason. The first reason that the Holy Spirit makes this connection is to teach us something about separation. When we began reading in Exodus 14, we read about that glory cloud of the Lord which was leading them on the way. But then when the Egyptian army came racing up behind the Israelites, that glory cloud did something special, something that did not normally happen. Normally, it was in front of the people, but on that night, it moved. Verse 20, it moved and it stood behind them, coming between the host, the army of Egypt, and the host, all the people of Israel. And there it was for the whole night. Can you see it? The one side, all of those Israelites, Israelite dads and moms and grandpas and grandmas and teenagers and children, all in a big throng. And then, water, the glory cloud. And then on the other side, 
Egyptians, all kinds of Egyptians, soldiers, strong men, fierce fighters, and their horses and their chariots. The glory cloud lit up the night, verse 20, without one coming near the other all night long. God used water to make a distinction, a division, a separation, and there was no crossing over, which is a very remarkable thing. Because these Egyptians who were on this side of the water, they were bound and determined to catch these people on the other side, the Israelites. And these soldiers were strong, and they had horses, and they had chariots, It was not going to be difficult for them to catch a bunch of people who were walking on foot, would it be? And these battle-hardened, big, strong, brave, courageous soldiers, they weren't scared of a little bit of water, were they? Water vapor, cloud, like fog sometimes that you see? Since when does a little bit of fog or a cloud stop a soldier, let alone an Egyptian soldier? They would normally just go right through it, but not this night. Not one soldier dared to go through the Lord's glory cloud to capture an Israelite. The Lord used water to distinguish Lord's Day 27. Therefore, by baptism, as sign of the covenant, they, that is the children too, must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. There is that little bit of water in the baptism font. It's just water. But it makes a division. On the one side... There are the children of the Lord, the children of the covenant. On the other side, there are the children of unbelievers. You see the connection. Baptism into Moses, baptism into Christ, pulled together. But it's not only for distinction. The Lord also used the baptism into Moses, that water, in order to bring salvation to his people, but also Punishment to those who were rebelling against him and his will, Pharaoh and all of his host. Because you see, God's people were led, after the sea had been split, down right into the waters. There they were, walking on the dry ground at the bottom of the sea, and up on one side of them, as high as they could see, water, water, more water. And then up on the other side, the left-hand side, water. Water, a wall of water. They walked right through the water on either side of them. And that was the path to salvation. That was the rescue road right through the Red Sea. Otherwise, they surely would have been captured. But on the other side, when Pharaoh and all of his big, strong, brave soldiers... And all of their horses and all of their chariots went charging down into that path. The Lord gave the command to Moses. And the waters came over them. 
and not one, not a single one escaped. They were all punished with death. Water, salvation for God's people, punishment for God's enemies. And now you connect that to the water that also went on your own forehead. Whether that was a few years ago or many years ago, brothers and sisters, but the connection is there. Because that water is God's way of showing you, God's way of convincing and assuring you that he is saving you. Not from a pharaoh, but from sin. The power of sin. Not just death in slavery, but death that comes from slavery to sin. And just as surely as God's people walked through that Red Sea, huge walls of water on either side of them, and came out rescued, so God with that little bit of water in the baptism font is showing you, he's leading you through the path of your life onto a full glorious salvation in the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. And then I ask you, brothers and sisters, for whom is this pledge of God signed and sealed in baptism? For the baptism into Moses, there's absolutely no question. Could you even imagine for just a moment that there, as the whole camp of Israel was there, fathers and the mothers and the teenagers and the little children and the grandpas and the grandmas. Could you imagine that the dads and the mums and and maybe the teenagers would walk through and leave the children on the other side? Leave the little infants on the shore? Of course not. God was saving his people. And so as they went down to the sea and were walking on the dry ground, there were teenagers who were walking along swiftly, still half scared of the Egyptians behind them. There were dads and mum walking swiftly, taking along a toddler in hand. Maybe mum had a little infant, only a few weeks old, clutched in her arms, quickly walking through the sea. There was a grandpa, there was a grandma, who were having a hard time walking. Maybe they even had a stick. Maybe they even had a cane. But the whole people of God, not one was left, not the little ones were left, not the old ones were left. The whole people of God walked through the sea. The whole people of God, please note the all, all were baptized, 1 Corinthians 10, into Moses. Why would it ever be anything less With the baptism into Christ. Christ is the one who is greater than Moses. Not lesser than Moses. And that's why. When we who receive the baptism into Christ. Because we belong to the new covenant. Both adults and infants are baptized. Equally sharing in that pledge and promise of God. 
It was so in the old. It's no less in the new. And what is that pledge of God all about? Today, many people connect baptism to their commitment, their commitment to Christ. And because they're committed to Christ, therefore now they are baptized. Think back to the baptism to Moses. Those people of God who were there, were they full of faith? Were they strong? Were they, were they at a high point in commitment to the Lord? Hardly. We sang about it. They were even rebellious. They were stubborn. They were scared. They were doubting the Lord. They were questioning. These were not people who were at the prime of faith, commitment, and trust into the Lord. They had all kinds of questions and doubts and fears in their mind. But the Lord took them through the waters. The Lord baptized them into Moses because it wasn't about their commitment. It was about the Lord and his commitment to them. His commitment to save them even though they were so weak in and of themselves. And the fact that baptism points us to the Lord's commitment to us that which is already clear with the baptism into Moses becomes even more clear if we now think about circumcision. Both the one done by hands and the one done by Christ. Because now think back to Abraham. When circumcision was first made, done by human hands, flint knife cutting off the foreskin, When did the Lord say that had to be done? At eight days old for the little boys. That was the normal course of events. Eight days old. What can someone do when they're eight days old? They cannot clothe themselves, they cannot feed themselves, they can't even move themselves yet. They can move their little hands and their little legs a little bit, but they can't even go from A to B. No one is rolling over at eight days old. An eight-day-old baby, so completely dependent, so completely dependent upon his or her parents. And that's when the Lord said, put the sign, put the sign of my covenant in the flesh of that eight-day-old little boy. Why? To teach him, to teach everyone that it's not about what we can do. Because what can an eight-year-old do? An eight-day-old do? But beyond that, it's not only about the timing. It's about what the Lord said. When the Lord came to give his sign of circumcision, he emphasizes repeatedly what he is going to do. It starts from the very beginning. Genesis 17, verse verse 2, that I may make my covenant between me and you, 
not our covenant. This is not, on the one hand, I, the Lord, come. On the other hand, you, Abram, come, and, and your children who will be born to you. And together we make a covenant. A lot of covenants are made in the hour. Maybe there's been a battle, and they decide to make a covenant of peace. And then the one side of the one army makes an agreement with the other army, and then they can speak about our covenant of peace together. This is the agreement that we came to. That's not the way it went with Abraham. God didn't say to Abraham, now let's sit down together and make our covenant. The Lord says, I'm coming, and I make my covenant between me and you. And what will this covenant include? All kinds of things that the Lord will do. Verse 10, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you and your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you the land. Again and again, the Lord is saying, this is my promise. This is my commitment to you. Do you doubt me? Do you sometimes wonder? Well, I also give you a pledge, a sign. It's called circumcision. And if that is true for the circumcision done with the human hand and a flint knife, then how much more the circumcision done by Christ. For when we speak about the circumcision done with Christ, by Christ, the connection, brothers and sisters, is not to a helpless little baby, although babies are obviously baptized, but the connection goes even deeper than that. For look what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. In him, in Christ, Also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, what is it connected to? Having been buried with him in baptism. Whom do you bury? A dead person. We continue in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God. Who needs to be raised from the dead? A dead person, obviously. And what kind of death are we then talking about? And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You see, an eight day old little baby can do so very little but they can do something can move their chubby little hands they can cry it's not much but it's something but a dead person can't even move his hands can't even cry can't even speak one word So helpless are we because of our sins and transgressions, brothers and sisters, that we are as good as dead. And this, then, is what is symbolized 
sealed to us in the circumcision done by Christ. That even though you and I, by nature, are dead, completely dead in our trespasses and sins, yet God, God buries us by baptism into Christ and raises us up to new life in him. It's all about what he's doing in our lives because dead people don't contribute to their own salvation and make it happen. Well, brothers and sisters, with these most powerful truths, baptism into Moses, the baptism into Christ. The circumcision done by human hands, the circumcision done without human hands and by the power of the Spirit of Christ. We have received something that we ought to use even more than we often do. Why did the Lord give you your baptism? Because he knows you and he wanted to assure you. No, more than that, not just wanted. You notice the catechism says he wants right now. It's not just what God did for you back years ago when you were baptized. It's what he wants to do for you today as a baptized child of his. He wants to assure us And my brother, my sister, he wants to assure you by this divine pledge and sign of baptism that you are as truly cleansed from all of your sins as water washes away dirt from the body. God knows you. He knows you very well. And he knows the kinds of questions that come up in your soul. You say, I'm such a stubborn fool. I should have learned by now in my life that this sin, this transgression, gets me nowhere. Causes me misery, offends God, causes people around me all kinds of grief. It's going nowhere. Nothing but offense and misery. But I did it again. What if, question of the soul, what if God's getting tired of my foolish sinfulness? He says, that's enough. I've forgiven you enough times by now. God knows that those type of questions come up in your mind. And that's why God gave you your baptism. Because he wants to assure you in the most powerful, straightforward, simple, cut through all of the mental confusion kind of way. My child, as foolish and as sinful as you are, I still forgive you fully, completely. 
as surely as you get your hands muddy working in the gardens and you go under the tap and just the water itself that all washes that dirt away it's gone down the sink surely as you see that dirt going down the sink so surely no 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 even more surely the blood and the spirit of Jesus Christ wash you clean sparkling totally clean from all of your sins another question of the soul when you get into tough times you start to wonder has the lord's steadfast love stopped as the psalmist asaph said has his steadfast love forever ceased are his promises at an end god's promises stop for me has god forgotten to be gracious to me This is a psalm 77, questions of Asaph, questions of the soul. God says, look at your baptism. Even if you were a baby, you don't remember that it happened. But you know what baptism is. You see it. Remember, I, God the Father in heaven, I stand behind my commitment 100%. My steadfast love has not stopped. My promises have not ceased and my grace has not been forgotten when you question the lord says i show you baptism assurance and when you say yes but the road between here and eternal perfection is so long with so many twists so many turns i don't know if i have the strength to make it what if i fall away what if i fall away then god the holy spirit stands there behind the water of baptism and he says i made you a promise and i am god i am god of my word i am god who inspired the word i'm not like a man says the holy spirit i don't say one thing do the other it's not who i am i'm god when i made you the commitment that i would dwell within you carry you forward and i meant it questions of the soul brothers and sisters we all have them you're not strange you're not odd if you have deep questions of the soul but the question is where are you going to go when you have questions the answer that these texts the answer that lord's day 27 is pointing you is god put a sign in your life signs are meant to point you somewhere if there's a sign to elora it says this is the way to elora the water of baptism that went on your forehead is a sign and it's pointing you somewhere it's pointing you to god the father god the son God the Holy Spirit for you were baptized into his name and when your soul struggles with questions let your baptism lead you to the answer your triune faithful unshakable 
loving God.